And you know what? I'm just excited because I'm living victorious because my dad just whooped the devil's butt 2,000 years ago so raw. I'm telling you, Satan was defeated after the cross and he is still defeated. Don't let him tell you otherwise. Somebody in this place is alive. Man, can I just preach today? I felt like the 9 a.m. was awesome, but I felt like it was just like a primer. You know what I'm saying? It's like a little appetizer. It was like an app, a half-off app at Fridays. I mean, anyway, speaking of food, <laughs> I love bacon. Are there any other bacon lovers in this place? Wow, wow, okay, okay. I started a bacon festival in Northwest Indiana. Did you know that? There was 10,000 people in attendance before 1 o'clock the very first year we did it because people love bacon, and, and every store in a 10-mile radius was, like, completely out of bacon. Um, but, you know, when you look at a, at, a, at a breakfast table and you look at that plate, this is for the note-takers. This is my first mic drop, and then I'm going to walk off the stage, okay? You have bacon and eggs, okay? When you're looking at that plate, this is the difference between involvement and commitment, because we're going to be talking about commitment for the next four hours, okay? So the difference, all the first-time guests are like, man, I knew it was this kind of church. Um, but the difference between involvement and commitment is the difference between the bacon and the egg. See, the, the chicken was involved with that meal, but the pig was committed. <laughs> That, that went off so much better than 9 a.m. I totally failed that one. It's all about the setup. It's all about the setup. I'm growing. I'm not much of a joke teller, but I just figured I would illustrate for you that we are not asking you today to be involved with the things of God. We're asking you to be bacon. <laughs> Can I get an amen? I don't even know what that means, but... You know, Jesus is not requiring perfection of you when you read this book. He never required perfection. He went and actually chose people and ministered to people and called people great who the world called sinner. But you know what he does require? And he demands commitment. It's not perfection, but it is commitment. I'll tell you, the only reason why I'm standing in front of you right now isn't because I'm the most eloquent person in this room, because I can guarantee you I'm not. But the reason why I'm standing in front of you is because I'm committed to God because he first was committed to me. And you know, I love him, but he first loved me. We're gonna be looking at a man named Caleb. We're doing a deep study. We're looking into his life and I've gotten some crazy insights and I wanna share that. We're gonna to go to Numbers chapter 14 right now so you can just flip with me. Numbers chapter 14, it's in the Old Testament. There's no shame in the table of contents. I read this Bible because I don't get notifications on this from anyone other than God. Okay, that was corny. <laughs> Hashtag Christian jokes, right? <laughs> We have video now, so all my jokes are funnier because like every time on the podcast I would do a physical joke, I'd be like, okay, whatever to them. Can we just welcome everyone who's watching live right now? 
I got so many messages from people all over the United States and even some in Latin America about hashtag not impressed. So if you missed last Sunday, go back and watch it. I mean, people got free and I saw that hashtag all over the internet, not impressed. And it was very apropos because a whole bunch of stuff went down in people's lives where they needed to say, devil, sickness, whatever, I'm not impressed, you know? So Numbers chapter 14, this was our text from last week. It says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit somebody say I'm different you can say with a little bit of attitude and look at the person next to you say I'm different <laughs> because my servant Caleb it doesn't say because of my because of my CEO because of my high-level Gary Vaynerchuk entrepreneur Caleb it doesn't say that see the Bible's uh, way up is down my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Can you say wholeheartedly? It says, I will, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Is there anyone else beside me who is so grateful for the I wills of God? The I will of God. See, because God's not like a man. He can't lie. If he says he's going to do it, you better believe, baby, he's going to do it. You can do it. <laughs> All right, that's it. Let's pray out. <laughs> um, I want to tell you guys a story. Can I tell you a story? Okay, this is an old story. I'm going to take you back to the year 2000. Was anyone here for the year 2000? Yeah? Are there any people who are fetuses and you wave your little fetus arms? <laughs> <laughs> so in the year 2000, some of you had those uh, blonde spike tips. Anyone have those? Some of you are still wearing your Jinko jeans. You remember that? Some of you got, yeah, let me say, you, you were downloading Dave Matthews Band on Napster and you were getting ready to load it into your Winamp player. You don't know what I'm talking about. There ain't no Winamp fans out here. <laughs> That's what I was doing in the year 2000. I was a teenager and um, my mom at the time, she had this dream in the year 2000 where and you know, sometimes you have those dreams that really mess you up. Like, have you ever woken up from a dream and you're like, there is something supernatural or I just had something bad for dinner or whatever. But she had this dream where a big white airplane just like landed on our street in Hammond, Indiana and came to a screeching halt right in front of our house. And she saw that, that white plane and, and woke up out of her dream and it just was like one of those weird, crazy, like I know there's something significant to, to this dream. Then from 2000 to 2003, she had this reoccurring dream. It's, it's like, and now mind you, I'm a pastor, so we're about to go into the supernatural realm, okay? You know, some people are just like, I don't know if I believe this. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to preach what you believe. I'm supposed to bring you over to what I believe. And this story is going to be really hard for some of you with atheistic tendencies to, to, to palate, okay? But let's just choke this story down together so your body can metabolize and produce a little bit of faith. Hello. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So anyways, 
2000 to 2003, she has this reoccurring dream that, uh, that she's in this apartment and she's got all these boxes and the boxes are full. I'm the oldest of five kids. Hello, that's a big family. And uh, we were like, you know, storing up all these childhood memories and these boxes and everything in my mom's dream. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit speaks to her in this dream and says, Sandra, and we call her Moses. Anyone know Mama Moses here in the house? She's getting her own little following, you know? We got to get her an Instagram or something. But... All of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit speaks to her in the dream and says, leave these boxes, leave these childhood memories, leave this, this apartment, leave this house, and go get on that plane. Go get your ticket, and then go get on the plane. Now, that, that's a reoccurring dream for three years, and that dream has sort of been like the hallmark of our life. You know, there's certain like themes that are threaded into your family. Anyone have those like stories and things that are sort of just like unique to the culture of your family? Well, this white airplane and this dream had just been one of those things that God just threaded in our family, and there was sort of this 17-year expectancy that we had about what this dream's gonna mean, and then all of a sudden, now we launch a church called V1, which last week I explained what that's all about, so now we know what the white plane represents, right? And to make it even crazier, do you know when we moved the live stream viewers into this theater, I came from Indiana with the gear to do it, not knowing that this theater was conveniently located across the street from an airport, and I named it V1, and then I go turn on the street, and it's Michael Avenue? Sometimes even when you are stupid, God's like, I will make it stupid proof. The church is on Michael Avenue. That name you tattooed on yourself. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I've never understood that. Like People need a reminder, right? Sometimes I'm like that spiritually, and so are you. But anyways... The church across the street from the movie or from the airport named after an aviation term on Michael Avenue. You idiot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So all of a sudden we get here and I, I went to my parents and I say, I said, I just really would love for you guys to move to New York and um, babysit our kids so we can go on date nights. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but Dean's answer, Papa Dean, and he's kind of like the father of the house. Am I right? He's just, God built him so big. He's like just everyone's dad. Um, and he said, no. <laughs> he's like, I'm not moving. I'm not going to New York. Uh, I'm never going to go to New York. And I was like, all right, cool. So I prayed about it. And then that night, all of a sudden, now mind you, this is fast forward 17 years after that dream. I just really felt like they were supposed to come. And I, I felt like God actually told me, you know, I don't want to make any spiritually weird people here. So what I'm about to say, I do not put God said so on, on the back end of stuff just to give myself more credibility. Okay. We don't abuse that gift. Uh, but there are times where you will have a deep conviction and it will align with scripture and that impression you'll have to interpret into English and release it. And I felt like if he stayed in Northwest Indiana, he was physically going to die. Okay. Now, if you know me, you know, I'm not loose about saying God said this, God said that. So the next day I call him, I'm like, Dean, I just need to tell you. And he's like, wait, before you say anything, I want to tell you, God woke me up in the middle of the night and said, you are going to New York. And he also said, if you don't go, you're going to die in Northwest Indiana. And it was one of those serendipitous moments where you're realizing this is way bigger than us, Dean. This is way bigger than us, Sandra. So they start looking for places to live here on Long Island. And all of a sudden they get into this like uh, kind of this community of homes and they're looking. Well, their realtor who shows up to meet them is this is a Jewish woman who has accepted Christ as her Messiah and is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think there's like six of them, six of them on Long Island. <laughs> 
because I've never, that's like a crazy combination. Am I right? So this is the realtor who shows up, this spirit-led, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving Jewish woman. And all of a sudden, they, they're, they're just looking at this space and they come outside and, and the woman just goes, wait a second. Oh no, wait a second. Hold on. And she says, Sandra, I gotta say something to you. I, I just feel like this so strong. I've never felt, I don't think I've ever heard God before, but I think I'm hearing him right now. And this is gonna be weird. I'm not gonna be afraid to be weird. I gotta step out into the unknown. I just feel like God keeps telling me something to tell you over and over and over and over again. And you know what it was? She looked at my mom and she said, God said, it's time to take your ticket. Now that's messed up. Am I right? If you are an atheist in this place, I would love for you to explain that one. I don't even care about your explanation. Don't even try. All I know is that God was threading the needle 17 years ago and it had nothing to do with my mom. It had nothing to do with Dean or even me. It was your life that God cared about. And I don't know where you were 17 years ago, but a dream was being given and it was a command saying, get your ticket. And all of a sudden, a Jesus-loving Jewish woman on Long Island turns around and takes a risk to speak on behalf of God and says, woman, take your ticket. Can somebody in this space say, take your ticket? Come on, elbow the person next to you and say, it's time to take your ticket. Let me tell you a little bit about tickets. When you walk into a movie theater, you got to pay for a ticket to get in unless you're coming for V1 Church. And a ticket costs a price. The price of that ticket to get into the kingdom is commitment. Commitment. And it's time for you to take your ticket. Somebody say, take your ticket. Come on. You just can't make that kind of stuff. Now, of course, my mom fell out and under the ground and started crying. And it was like this crazy thing. And the woman's like, what did I say? And she's like, you just responded to a dream I had 17 years ago. And if you don't believe in divine appointments, May I just tell you right now, you're in one. (laughs) If you don't believe that God's got a plan for your life, can I just tell you, you're actually in it right now. And sometimes it takes somebody just narrating the movie for you to be like, oh, that's what's going on, huh? Well, let me just go ahead and narrate it for you. You are right where you should be right now at V1 Church. Listen to a hillbilly from Indiana tell you, take your ticket. You don't know what I'm talking about yet, but you will. And one thing I want you to learn from Julie and I's life, because we are definitely not the most intelligent or talented people in this room or online or whatever, is that we are doers of God's word. And God blesses doing. You know what I'm saying? God God doesn't bless your butt prints. He blesses your footprints. You gotta get up and walk sometimes. And I preached this a couple weeks ago, but you only get the foot lamp forward. But I'll tell you, baby, you get that floodlight backwards. And God will turn that floodlight and say, oh yeah, 17 years ago when I gave you that dream, that plane, it represented V1 Church. And that ticket represented your commitment and you're going all the way for me. And today, somebody in this room is going all the way for Jesus too. Amen. You know, I was flexing my MC skills from back when I was a freestyler. And I said, Ted talks, but we do. TED Talks, but we do. You know, thinking big is still just thinking. You got to be a doer of the word. So let's just jump back in. We're about to go deep into the word, Joshua chapter 14. So we started in Numbers chapter 14. Let's just flip over now. 
to Joshua chapter 14. And we're going to allow Caleb to give us the first person narration of what happened in his life. And this is incredible to me. I'm just going to read a big chunk of scripture. You can follow on the screen or you can read in your, in your Bibles. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua Gilgal and Caleb, it says this, the Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me and the heart or went up with me uh, turned the hearts of the people and they melted in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land inheritance, the land in which that your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time that he said this to Moses while Israel moved into the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I am I am still strong today as the Lord as the day Moses sent me out I am vigorous to go out to the battle now as I was then and I'll kill a giant to get into Canaan then and I'll kill a giant at 85 come on see what I love about him is that he was committed we're gonna learn about commitment if you're taking notes take notes I just read a big chunk of scripture but I'm gonna break it down there are seven things that Caleb teaches us about commitment in this passage number one commitment increases capacity commitment increases your capacity if you will say yes completely with your guts if you'll say yes completely with your heart your capacity will increase you know how I know someone's not committed to something it's revealed in their actions Right now, if you're sitting next to your husband and wife, I want to challenge you to do something. We're going to break some chains before this mess. This is called three-dimensional preaching. I want you to reach over and grab their hand and hold their hand while I'm speaking right now. That's commitment. Come on, just reach over. If you're next to your husband or wife or your significant other, I want you to just grab their hand. This is commitment. Come on, we're going to break some chains right now. Commitment increases capacity i can't put up with this woman and her stuff anymore but i'm committed so i will number two commitment demands attention see some of you in this place you can't do the right thing one time and expect for that to demand attention well i don't understand i read this book called the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership and i did them all once why am i not successful and famous yet You've got to stay committed to demand attention. They might not listen to you the first time. You might be telling your friends and family about this Jesus who can radically save their life, and you've got to say it again and again and be committed in your life. Number three, commitment generates credibility. Commitment generate it literally begins to spontaneously generate credibility. Number four is this, commitment forces God promises to manifest. When you latch on to the horns of that altar and you say, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I, I may be walking with a limp for the rest of my life, but I'm telling you, I came in Jacob. My name meant liar, but I'm leaving Israel. You better change my name. I am committed to this. And all of a sudden it provokes God promises in your life. Number six is this, or let's back up. Number five, for those of you who are actually taking notes, that was a test. 
<laughs> Commitment is a choice that produces a feeling, not a feeling that produces a choice. You want to know why your dad walked out on you? Because he defined commitment as a feeling. You want to know why people abandoned you in your life and left you high and dry? Because they stopped feeling like being committed to you. But the real definition of commitment is a choice. So if you're holding hands right now, it's a choice that you make over and over and over and over again. And then that choice generates a feeling. Look at Caleb. I love Caleb, man. I just, I'm, I'm imagining Caleb, this 85-year-old man wearing overalls. And he's got a little bit of a gut, you know. And he's saying here, I was 40 years old when I looked into the promised land and was told that I was going to go in and be all God called me to be. And now here I am all this time later, 85 years old. And he, I just love, I, I read the attitude in scripture. It comes alive through the Holy Spirit to me. And I just imagine him being this rickety old guy and he's starting to pop all the bones in his body like this. And he's like, come on, let's go kill some giants. I was down then and I'm still down. Is there anyone here who's saying, I've been serving God for some years and I'm I'm ready to reignite the passion. I was down then. I'm still down. I said God was going to change Long Island and I'm going to live to see it because I'm going to do it. Here's the next one. It kind of flows with that. Commitment gives you the ability or the permissions to see what others will never get to see. See, I've got some friends that I started this journey of ministry on who have walked out and they're not even the game anymore, but you know what they missed? They, they missed Ayush jumping out of the water when we baptized them. You know, they missed it because I got permissions to see what was on the other side because I was committed. And that's, it's just some things you're going to miss out if you quit too soon. Here's the next one. This is number seven. Commitment reveals the depth of your conviction. You know, people change their minds all the time. I've got respect for somebody who stakes their, their stake down into the ground and they plant it in that place and say, I'm going to die on this hill. I'll fight anyone who tries to take this territory for me because this is what I've been called to do. And if you're in this place and you're thinking, Pastor Mike, I've never committed to anything in my life. Well, get ready, baby. You're about to commit today because God's opening up the door to show you your purpose and show you what he's got for you. You know, there was a man who once discovered this rock strata and, and he thought that it might contain gold. It seemed to have all the indicators that there was gold in this rock strata. And he spent thousands of dollars and cash his whole life in to dig and dig and dig and dig. And you know what happened is that discouraged, he gave up and he actually sold that, that mining strata. The next person, I'm not kidding, they bore for three more feet and discovered all the gold that was there. Too many times in life, we just give up too soon. And that's why that, that, that commitment, it produces capacity to say, I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing. You know, for my life, uh, I'm looking at Caleb at, at 40 years old and I'm thinking, would I have waited all that time for the promise? You know, something I want to just bring your attention to in the, in the scripture is this. It says, let's go back. This is Joshua chapter 14. It says, now the people of Judah approached Joshua, Gilgal, and Caleb. It says that he's a Kenizzite. Why is that important? You know, because there's nothing wasted in scripture. It's important to acknowledge the fact that Caleb was a Kenizzite because that was another way of saying that he wasn't an OG Israelite. 
He wasn't always genetically in the family. There was somebody in Caleb's lineage who had a revelation that the God of Israel was the true God. And then somebody had made the decision. You see those people over there? Their God's the real God. I'm about to join their team. And all of a sudden, a couple generations later, and historians and scholars don't know, you have this man named Caleb who was literally a Kenizzite, somebody who wasn't supposed to be a part of the original plan but got grafted in. And maybe you're here in this place and you're like, I don't think I know all about God. I don't know theology. I haven't got it all figured out, but I feel him pushing. I feel him calling and drawing me. Maybe you're that Kenizzite. Maybe you're that crazy one who said, I'm looking in this church and I'm seeing something real. I'm experiencing something real and I want to grab hold of it for my life. Caleb was an outsider that had to do the job for the insiders. And sometimes it takes somebody stupid enough, crazy enough, bold enough to be the outsider to say, hey, you guys are all seeing giants in defeat, but I see a victory because I'm not looking down, I'm looking up. If you're here in this place, would you just stand to your feet with me right now? You know, you've got these cards that you had when you came in, and, and these are not the connect card, but this there's another one that says go V1, the decision speed. It's the decision speed. And, and there is just something that changes. Let me just back up. Everything changes when you commit. And as we get ready to shut this thing down, you're asking me like, well, how's my life going to change? How's my marriage going to change? How's my finances going to change? How am I going to get back into ministry to do what God called me to do? Commit. Commit. Second Timothy chapter two, you got Paul in jail, in jail, writing this letter. And all of a sudden he says, if we die with him, we'll live with him. He says, if we stick it out with him, we'll rule with him. Who's the him he's talking about? Jesus. We got too many people in this world that want to rule without committing. Commit, 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 commit. This is one of the hardest things to preach, but I'm telling you when the airplane's on the runway and you get ready to go V1, there comes a moment. See, V1 is called the decision speed and you're looking at this car. It's a decision speed because they say after we vocally acknowledge that the plane has gone V1 and hit that velocity speed, we are basically saying we are staying with this thing. If the wheels blow out, if the engine blows out, nothing will stop us from flying with this thing for better or for worse. And you know, as you're looking through this card, it asks you, will you make a decision? I want everyone in this place to, to look at this card and make a decision today. You know, when I was 21 years old, I was in Orlando, Florida, and I was standing in a hotel lobby, and I was getting ready to marry a woman named Julie because it was cheaper to get married in the lobby than an actual banquet room. And we were just stupid, and we were in love, and we were like, we're getting married. And I'll never forget her coming down in her wedding dress and she had the veil. And all of a sudden, you know, we're looking into each other's eyes. And when she looked at me, and I'll never forget, she, she was saying for better or for worse, for richer or for poor. And when I said my vows, I'll be honest, I, I don't think that I knew what I was doing. I think that Julie was the only one who really knew what she was doing because she's walked it out. And we went on a long road where I had to learn what commitment's all about. See, if you're wounded and you're fatherless, if you're orphaned, if you've been abandoned in your life, you might not even know how, how do I commit? Nobody's ever modeled it for me. Nobody's ever taught me commitment. 
Well, there's a man named Jesus who's here right now through the Holy Spirit. And 2,000 years ago, the early church was given one one. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you even into the ends of the earth. And he said it then and he's saying it to you right now. I will model for you commitment. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, I was grieved in my heart the other day because Simon Sinek was given this talk. And in this talk, he was saying that there are employers who are actually starting to structure their organizations around the concept of creating an unfireable culture. And I said, isn't that funny that a fatherless generation would create a fireless workforce? Because they're not working for money. They're motivated by commitment. They're, they don't want a boss. They don't want a leader. They don't want a guru. They want a father. And they're saying, can you just love me when I got it all together and love me when I don't? And we've got millennials producing unfireable cultures because we're that abandoned and orphaned. And, it, and I'll tell you what, 20 years ago when I first started studying leadership, the whole word, everyone, it was leader, 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 21 irrefutable laws. And I had the binders and the books and I made worksheets and taught it to everyone. And now we're in an era of mentor, mentor, mentor. But the apex of all leadership is the title father. And you know how I know? Because God who created the entire universe and you and you and you and you and you, that's what he calls himself. Because see a mentor, they can check out. You know what I'm saying? A leader can just like, I'm done with you now. You're not producing. But a father says on a genetic DNA level, you are mine. And no matter how far you run, I will chase you to every corner. Don't you think it's strange that the number one worship song in the entire nation right now is the reckless love of God that leaves the 99 sheep to come looking for the one? I'm here to tell you, you can never be what God called you to be until you commit because he's committed to you. <laughs> Would you close your eyes? Right now, some of you have condemned yourself. You use that condemnation as an excuse to stop going to church, to stop letting God use you in your ministry giftings, to stop serving. You've used it as an excuse. You, you've distanced yourself. You've been isolated and cold to your loved ones around you, and you are just in such a place of condemnation. But what God is telling you right now is I can ask you to commit because I have not abandoned you. Right now with every eye closed, just no one looking around, just having a moment with God. If you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor Mike, I need this man named Jesus. I need to accept what he's done for me. He went all the way on the cross and now I'm ready to go all the way. I've never maybe been committed to anything in my life, but I wanna start with being committed to Jesus so then I can be committed to my family and my job and my career and my vocation and everything else, but I know it starts, the root of it has gotta be commitment to my savior, to my creator. Is there anyone here who would just raise their hand and say, I'm ready to make that commitment? just put your hands down you guys just take a look at me for a second when you raised your hand that's the definition of commitment it's just one step that you take that you take over and over again and and, and you know that that story about julie and i we actually renew our, renewed our vows when i figured out what commitment meant we renewed our vows and you know what we did we invited all the haters and everyone who didn't think that we were going to survive and our marriage was going to make it and i was like hey let me make a list of everyone who gossiped about us and invite them to this ceremony it was the most jacked up ceremony ever right all the haters all line up and we took communion together. And I said, y'all are taking communion. <laughs> 
God, forgive me. We're forgiving each other. And that blood that washed us is going to wash us all together. And that body that was broken is going to heal us all together. And that was how Julie and I renewed our vows with everyone that had watched us die, who had watched us fail, had to watch God resurrect us. So today you have an audience in this room for your own resurrection because God's going to bring back to life the dreams and the gifting and everything he's called you to do because you raised your hand and you committed. So can we pray together? Can you guys just borrow my words so we can close this thing out? So everyone just say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you first loved me. I commit my life to you. Wash me clean. Forgive me. Make me new today. Father, I thank you that my best days are yet to come. And I will see your promises fulfilled in my life because you cannot lie. And I receive it. And by faith, I believe it. And today, I go V1. And everyone in this place, can you just shout amen? Can you just put your hands together and shout amen? Come on, let's just lift it up in this place one last time. Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click Give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.